Uhuru, you are listening to Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on Black Power 96.3 in St. Petersburg, Florida, and also available as a podcast. You can follow us on Podbean at uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. Reparations in Action is the weekly program of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement the organization of white people who work under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, organizing in the white community to build the movement for reparations to African people. My name is Jamie Simpson, your host, and I'd like to welcome back to the show the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess, and Uhuru Penny, and also Chair, welcome back. And we also want to welcome Chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. Uhuru, Chairwoman Penny, and Chair Jesse. Uhuru. So we want to begin, as always, by saluting the leadership of the Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, the African Socialist International, founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, Omali Yeshitela. He has led the struggle for African liberation under, under the leadership of the African working class for the past 50 plus years. We want to salute the Central Committee of the African People's Socialist Party. Deputy Chair Ona Zene Yashitela, the visionary economic development on the ground leader of the economic work of the African People's Socialist Party. We want to salute the African People's Solidarity Committee, which Chairwoman Penny Hess uh, leads, the organization of white people, the, the um, cadre organization of white people who work under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party in solidarity with African liberation and reparations. We want to salute Black Power 96 and the African People's Education and Defense Fund for allowing us to have this hour every Tuesday at noon to bring this message of reparations to the white people who are listening. The African People's Education and Defense Fund is a nonprofit whose mission is to address the grave disparities in human rights, economic development, health, healthcare, and education faced by the Black or African community. And we want to let everyone who's listening know that we recognize we are white people on a Black Power radio station, Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM in St. Petersburg. And we are doing this to address the white people who listen to Black Power 96 to let you know that if you can unite with reparations and independence for African people, there is a role for you in the African liberation movement, a role of winning other white people to this stand of reparations and solidarity with the liberation of Africa and African people. So today is an incredibly historical moment in the struggle of African people, and we are going to be discussing some very important uh, questions of colonial symbols coming down all over this country of continued police murder and vigilante murder against African people and the struggle to make Wall Street pay reparations. So let's begin with our first segment today. We wanted to discuss the developments around the MOVE organization in Philadelphia. This is an African organization that has been under siege, under assault by the Philadelphia Police Department and the state since the late 70s. In 1978, Delbert Africa was assaulted by the Philadelphia Police Department, and he has been uh, in jail since that time until this week he was finally released. This is a profound statement yeah. of where the colonial system is. Chairwoman Penny Hess, did you want to comment on the release of Delbert Africa? Well, we're, you know, we're, we're very much sorry to say that Delbert Africa died today and that 
from the African People's Solidarity Committee under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party. We want to extend our most profound respect and admiration for Delbert Africa, who is a symbol of African resistance around the world. He spent 42 years in prison as many other members, I believe nine other members of the MOVE organization did. And he was released a few months ago, but he did pass away today. And we want to express, of course, our condolences to the MOVE family. And we want to express the, the symbol that he represents of African resistance. He is the person who, whose, whose uh, picture went around the world that has been seen by millions and millions of people as he stood with his arms wide open and then the brutal police attack on the move house in 1978 in Powhatan Village of Philadelphia when they, they attacked member, many members of the move family at that time. And Delbert is the one who was, whose picture is famously, infamously on the ground he is being kicked by the steel-toed boots in the head of, uh, of the Philadelphia Police Department stand, as, you know, as the Move family represented the, the struggle for self-determination and for African people to, to be free and liberated and to be able to live their lives as, as they determine it. And they were brutally attacked again in Philadelphia in 1985, um, seven years later, when the move house on Osage Avenue in Philadelphia was bombed by an incendiary bomb that caught the house on fire and burnt down 60 houses of that historically African community there in Philadelphia. And you know, part of the ongoing counterinsurgency and war against the African community. So, you know, we just want to say that we, from the African People's Solidarity Committee, under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, stand in solidarity with the MOVE family. We say long live Delbert Africa and the resistance that he and many others represented. We stand in solidarity with the demand that Mumia Abu-Jamal must be freed from prison must be liberated and that African people must be free. The attack on MOVE in 1985 was um, one of the reasons why the African People's Socialist Party first sent um, members of the party into that city back in 1985, 19, I think it was about 1986, in response to that. And their slogan was, reinforcements are on the way. And the party has always stood in uh, profound solidarity with MOVE and with the, um, with the struggle to free Mumia and the right of African people to be free and liberated. So just want to say that today. And again, to say long live Delbert Africa, long live MOVE, and long live the African People's Socialist Party and the African Revolution. Reparations are due. And we express our genuine solidarity with that right of African people everywhere to be free and liberated. Uhuru.
move. Thank you for that, Chairwoman Penny Hess. And I want to unite with your uh, words of salute and, and condolences uh, to the friends and family of Delbert Africa and indeed the entire MOVE organization, MOVE 9, what happened, what was done against the MOVE organization, it has to be understood, especially in the white community, that when Chairwoman Penny talks about an incendiary device being dropped on the MOVE house in 1985, that was C4 dropped by the Philadelphia police, cleared yes. by the mayor on a residential home that burned to death 11 men, women, and, and, children. and children. That's right. All day assault using so many bullets against this small group of African people that they had to bring in reinforcements of ammunition from outside of the city. If uh, yeah, you, they, there is, they there killed is a, 11, as you said, 11 women, men, and children on that day that was televised uh, locally and nationally. Um, that was to be you know, another assault on the right of African people to stand up for their own self-determination. And, um, you know, we salute the resistance of MOVE and the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party in defining um, this whole counterinsurgency, the brutal war against um, the African working class that is still going on today. It certainly is. And it's so obvious, the brutality from 42 years in prison that they would hold Delbert Africa only to let him out months before the man perishes, before he dies, is, is just horrific. But it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg and we're seeing the continued colonial violence in the form of police murder. There have been numerous murders of young African men in addition to, to George Floyd that have been revealed since George Floyd's murder. And most recently, over this past weekend on Friday night, Rayshard Brooks was murdered by Atlanta police officers mm -hmm. for trying to avoid being tased and possibly murdered in, in a police car. He was, he was running away when they shot him to death and protests in the back, in the back shot twice in the back. And we've, it has been shown on video that the bourgeois media are, are running it over and over. He was shot for falling asleep in a Wendy's drive through and the police came and, and there was a juncture in this interaction in which he said, look, I, I can go to my sister's house. It's right here. I'll leave my car here. It could have ended there, but the police continued to push it until he was murdered. And the city mm -hmm. of Atlanta is on edge to say the least. The Wendy's where this uh, happened has been torched. Mm -hmm. It went up in flames. And well, yeah. I mean, I think that it's really, um you know, that this is, is, first of all, that this is happening in the midst of the most powerful uprising of the African working class, sustained uprising since the Black Revolution of the 1960s. That this is, that this uprising of the African working class has shown what the U.S. government is saying. It, it's, um, you know, the, the greatest internal contradiction of the, of the U.S. government. It has the ability to rip this system to shards and that all around the world this incredible brilliant uprising of the african working class that we are seeing on the ground continuing day after day after day is reverberating around the world and the colonial question is being brought to the surface in every place you know the these um imperialism the resistance against 
imperialism, parasitic capitalism is being shown in the continuing and deepening weakness of, of US imperialism on every front. We salute the leadership of Chairman Omalia Shatella, who is the leader of the African Revolution, who's been able to give so much profound leadership to this. The African People's Socialist Party defining the fact that the question is colonialism, not racism. Something that is beginning to be picked up everywhere, that there is domestic colonialism, as the chairman says, inside the borders of the United States. It is not white, this, all of this um, inside of white people's heads with us in the center that uh, we're supposed to unlearn our racism and then Africans are supposed to like us now when we still live on the pedestal of the oppression of African people in two Americas that are so obvious to see that this is colonial oppression. Defunding the police is not going to defund colonialism. The essence of the, uh, of the nature of this state is the colonial state. And so that even during this time of incredible resistance, we see more and more killings of, of African people, including, as you mentioned, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, David McAtee, who was gunned down by police um, in Louisville, Kentucky, after he let um, protesters harbor inside of his barbecue restaurant in the African community of Louisville, and the police shot into that group, and he resisted and he was, he was gunned down right there by, by the police. It just happened a week or so ago. And so many other places were seeing reports of Africans being lynched, hanging from trees in several different cities inside of this country. And we'll find out more about that and report more about that in the future. But the, again, going back to, to the understanding that white people are part of the state. We are automatically deputized. We have the power of life and death over African people. And African people don't give a damn what we think about them. Under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, they're fighting for power, economic and political power over their lives in the form of such programs as the Black Power Blueprint and over 50 institutions of self-determination, building a liberated anti-colonial African economy in this country and around the world fighting for absolute liberation. We salute Deputy Chair Onazine Shetela, who is, is the coordinator of these institutions from the Office of the Deputy Chair. We salute Chairman Omalia Shetela, who's our leadership. And we know that we owe reparations to African people. So this is a powerful period and it's time for white people to get on board and stand on the side under the leadership of the African Revolution, which is about ending white power, ending colonialism, and building a world in which all oppressed and colonized people are free and liberated, have the return of their stolen resources and land, and have total and complete power over their lives. Okay. Um, I This is Jesse. I really want to uh, salute and unite with the um, the tribute to Delbert Africa um, earlier in this uh, program mm -hmm. unite with everything that Chairwoman Penny has said. And the understanding that Chairman Amali Shatella has really 
uh, brought to the whole world, um, you know, that this is colonialism and that it's insufficient and actually does a favor to colonialism to obscure colonialism by saying yes. racism. Right. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important that, you know, this point is being made in the world over and over and over again, because, you know, the anti-racist movement of the white left, uh, which as we've talked about before, is actually a huge moneymaker for yeah. the sectors of the white population. It's a sub-industry within parasitic capitalism to teach white people how to become less racist. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's trying to catch up. It's trying to, um, because you know, the chairman and the Uhuru movement has, made, has done some damage to the, the mm -hmm. reputation of anti-racism. So they've, they've had to um, upgrade their definition. In fact, I don't know if you heard about this, but Merriam-Webster's dictionary updated the definition of racism recently mm -hmm. so that it's not simply the ideas in the minds of white people or you know prejudiced attitudes that it includes institutional racism systemic racism which chairman Amalia Shatella has addressed before that the reasons why these institutions are targeting African people and oppress African people is because they're colonial institutions yes so everywhere yes. else around the world you call it colonialism but inside the U.S. you call it institutional yes. racism so he just he's just totally dusted that whole concept. Yes. On a, on a related note, um, just talking about move. So I wanted to say this because, okay, just for clarity for everyone listening in the white community, the fire department was there that day mm -hmm. and they were given orders to stand down mm -hmm. and let the fire burn. Yep. Exactly. Okay, so the fire department is part of the state mm -hmm. as well, is part mm -hmm. of the colonial state. The reason why I'm saying that is because I went to a demonstration here in St. Petersburg that was comprised majority of white people. It was not one that was led by the Uhuru movement. And I mm -hmm. went there to do outreach. It was in front of the St. Pete police station and a fire truck drove by and the white people started cheering. And what? They said, yes, they started cheering Penny. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, no one ever says down with the fire department. So I just think that needs to be made really clear. The fire department is also part of the state. Yeah. And there's one fire department for white people and another for Africans. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, mm -hmm. that's the nature of colonialism. So right. just wanted to say that. I, yes. I, I appreciate you, you raising that, Jesse, because it, it goes to, as, as uh, we've been saying, that the police are the front arm of colonialism, but they are not the entirety of colonialism. And I think, yeah, it's absolutely true that the fire department was complicit in the burning of the move building and the murder of all those people that day, as well as the city government. The mayor was involved in okaying yeah. that. Oh, yeah. and, and even recently, we've seen around the murder of George Floyd, the, the, the coroner report, right? The medical examiner's report, mm -hmm. completely complicit with the police murder and tried to claim that he did not die from asphyxia, he, that, that he wasn't strangled, that it wasn't, it was a multiplicity of factors that led, until there was an independent autopsy and they retracted that. So we see how even people in, in, in all different types of fields, all different types of professions can become part of the colonial oppression of African people. So it's, it's much, it's much. Yes. But I think that, you know, this uprising and the, the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Omali Shatella is, is turning this around in so many ways in terms of, for example, in several cities, including Atlanta, the, the police chief 
has either quote resigned or been resigned, been forced to, to step down. And the New York Times had an article, I think in the last day or so saying, the job of police chief used to be a very secure job for, your, for white people's careers. Not anymore, not anymore. Africans are exposing this colonial reality and it is powerful. And, and the, it is only, I have to say it is only African People's Socialist Party and Chairman O'Malley Chatella who's giving this analysis. Mm -hmm. We can't get there this anywhere else because, but, but what he's showing is the power of, you know, to bring the system down is in the hands of the African working class. Mm -hmm. It's in the hands of the African working class. And that's what the African People's Socialist Party is about and why we must be under the leadership of the African working class. If we, you know, otherwise we're only fighting for change, quote unquote, for ourselves on the pedestal of the oppression of, of African people. And I mean, I just want, want to say really quickly that, you know, the Supreme Court passed this law against sexual uh, discrimination, quote unquote, and there, it's such a surprise that includes like LGBTQ and, and of course, that's gonna be white people that benefit from that. You know, African LGBTQ are often much, you know, being gunned down because they're African, they're colonized, and there's still two Americas within that. But the reason, you know, it was such a surprise and everybody's trying to sum up, well, why did this happen now? It happened now because African workers have brought this system to near revolution inside the borders of the United States and around the world. So they had to do this now. That's why they did it now. It and it shows that the African Revolution has stood for, and, and as the chairman said, to all oppression, to all oppression. That's what it represents. And we're seeing symbols of oppression coming down all over the country, throughout the world. Yes. Statues of imperialists, of slave owners, of Confederate uh, advocates of slavery. And there was a, a statue where you were located, Chairwoman Penny Hess, and we want to go to a clip right now to say no white power must go parasitic capitalism must go that white people can't sit on the pedestal of the oppression of african and indigenous people any longer out here in the park the reason this is happening is because of the incredible uprising of the african working class that is shaking this government to its very foundation sparked by the brutal murder of George Floyd, not too far from here in Minneapolis in the Midwest here, and years and years of enslavement, terror, lynching, murder, torture, police murder, three times a day, every day against the African community, and that this land belongs to the indigenous people that it will be returned to them. They are fighting for their land back, that the conditions of the indigenous people in this country are the most brutal, <clears throat> the most brutal of any population. People are dying, people are starving, people are being murdered in the indigenous population right now. And this is what this statue stands for. It stands for genocide. It stands for white power. It stands for imperialism. It stands for the ability of 
imperialism to dominate the earth with colonialism, with terror, with war, with suffering for the benefit of the white population and white power. And this is a message from the indigenous people and their profound allies and brothers and sisters, the African population of this country inside the borders of the US and Africans around the world, that the people will be free, that they, throw, they are throwing off the bonds of colonial domination. They are fighting for their land, for justice, for freedom, for liberation, and Columbus has to go. No all right, so that was uh, Penny Hess, Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, and you heard her speaking, as you can hear in the background, construction workers, what appear to be city construction workers in a St. Louis uh, park are removing a statue of Christopher Columbus. This is a historic moment that you were present for, Chairwoman and, Penny. And I just wanna say, Penny Hess got the scoop on this. Uh, nobody had even reported about it. Chairwoman Penny was there on the scene making this statement, and if you wanna see the whole video, you should check out uhurusolidarity.org and go to our Facebook page as well. Yeah, I was, well, you know, there's been a, a struggle to, re, to, to remove that statue of Christopher Columbus in Tower Grove Park in St. Louis for a long time, and, and they, they refused to do it. I was just out there going for a morning walk this morning, <laughs> and I looked over on the path, and I saw, you know, where the statue was, and I saw all these cherry picker things, and workers out there and different kinds of equipment. And I'm like, are they taking down the statue? And I ran over there and yes, they were taking down the statue of Columbus. And I, and I wanna say that, you know, I came here to St. Louis a little over a year ago under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party. I came here as part of the, um, of, you know, the call by the party to build the Uhuru Solidarity Movement here in St. Louis where um, first of all, which is, you know, the, the African working class resistance here is powerful after Mike Brown was brutally murdered by the police in Ferguson, which is not too far from the Uhuru House um, in 2014. I came here last year and I came in solidarity and to build support and the stand of reparations from the white community for the Black Power Blueprint, which is an incredible project going on on the north side of St. Louis, led by the party, led by um, Deputy Chair Onazanea Chapella, and where um, just beautiful projects are going to. People can go to blackpowerblueprint.org and see it, uh, an outdoor garden, a transformation of the Uhuru House, just in the most impoverished sector of the African community. That's why I'm here. And I know that that statue came down today because of the resistance of the African working class, because of the existence of the black power blueprint, because these colonizers in the city knew that they could not get away with that any longer. And I was always really offended from the first time I came here and I went into the park and it was just like this, this statue, this gigantic statue of Columbus towering over the park as a way to let white people know it's okay, it's okay, you know, hardly ever even see African people in that park. Um, of course, you don't see indigenous people. The genocide has been committed against them. And this was an incredible victory.
for the African revolution, for indigenous revolution, for the right of indigenous people to have their land back, um, for African people to have Africa and just, it was, a, it was a victory. It was a symbol of colonialism that is very, very important. And it is, it is part and parcel of the struggle against colonialism itself to defeat it once and for all, wipe it off the face of the earth. So it was great to be out there. We're glad that you could bring that story to us uh, in such a timely manner and uh, salute the, the taking down of the statue and especially all the resistance that led to that. And uh, speaking of resistance, we, there was an incredible press conference this week. In 1966, Chairman Omalia Shatella, in, in one of the first acts of what has been, what has been summed up as the first act of black power in this country, uh, at a press conference, uh, in 1966, went into City Hall and tore down a racist, offensive mural that used to hang there, which depicted a caricature, a, a, a fantasy in the idea in the heads of white people of what African people should be. Depicted African people serving white beachgoers in St. Petersburg, Florida. The space where that uh, offensive mural once hung has remained blank until the past week, when a select a body of the city unanimously voted behind closed doors in the midst of a pandemic without the ability of the public to comment, to put up a plaque directly in opposition to the wishes of Chairman Omalia Shatella, commemorating this event and referring to Chairman Omalia Shatella by his slave name, which he has changed, uh, of Joseph Waller. And this is, this is a, a very profound event and we want to listen to a clip of Chairman Amalia Shatella speaking on his response to this move on the part of the city to put up a plaque where this racist mural once hung. The fact of the matter is, things are worse today in 2000 than they were 54 years ago yeah. in 1966 when that mural was torn from that wall. And that mural was torn from that wall, not because we wanted to attack, but we wanted the conditions in the black community changed. We demand that then, we demand that today. That's what it's about. So, so this consternation that we see with some white liberals and their black minions about why they can't get some kind of agreement from me. First of all, they haven't even talked to me. They lie when they said they had some communication with their liars yes. when they say that. Yes. Why would I tell a lie about it? I tore the mural down. Right. I went to prison for it. Yeah. Why the hell would I be so afraid yeah. that I wouldn't yeah. tell the truth about yeah. that question? Yeah. They lie. In fact, when they put me on trial, I was given an opportunity. They said, all you've got to do, we'll put you on the stand. Just say it. If you had an opportunity to do it again, you wouldn't do it. You won't have to go to prison. But to have said that was to deny the significance of the struggle of our people and to be an example not for the struggle in the interest of our people, but the power of white people who can make you say anything that they want you to say. I don't say something just because you want me to say it, and you can't make me lie. 
about the fact you never called me, you never said anything to me, but even if you had, the struggle wasn't about a plaque. It's about changing the conditions in the community. It's about changing the power relationships that exist between black people, this government, these people who 54 years since that time continued the process of beautifying downtown white St. Petersburg was growing uh, uh, skyscrapers and uh, growing uh, uh, entities here, uh, nothing representing wealth and richness that shook from a black community that gets no value from the taxes that we pay, the labor that we do. All right, that was Chairman Amalia Shatella on the steps of St. Petersburg City Hall 54 years after he tore down a racist mural addressing an offensive plaque that the city has put up in its place to cover over not only the history, but the current struggle that Chairman Amalia Shatella is talking about for genuine economic development and independence in the black community. So um, I want to open this up with you, Chairwoman Penny, and you, Chair Jesse, to talk about the significance of this whole move of taking down symbols of colonialism that the chairman started over 50 years ago. Yep. And, and 1966, the chairman right. took that down way before anybody else was taking down any, any symbol of colonialism. The chairman ripped down that, and he, he was sentenced to five years in prison, which he served to two and a half years for in prison for doing that. We should thank him. Thank you, Chairman O'Malley Chatella, for taking that hideous colonial depiction of African people down from, it was hanging in the city hall of St. Petersburg where African people had to pay their water bill and come for any number of reasons and see that hideous colonial depiction of the African population that was supposed to be entertaining white people on the beach. Yeah. And you know, so it's powerful. And what the city is doing is attacking him in this period when yes. the city's like even St. Louis, reactionary old St. Louis mm -hmm. is taking down symbols of colonialism and they are attacking the chairman, but not by putting up some of their idea of what should be a plaque and not using his name, his actual name. This is outrageous and we should be outraged by this. It really is, and and for you know for, for the reasons you stated, and and more for for the offense that it is to the person of Chairman Amalia Chapella, and and yes. all history that that protest in 1966 was, but it wasn't only about the offensive mural. The action was intended to draw attention to the oppressive relationship, as the chairman said, of the city of Saint Petersburg maintained that the city of Saint Petersburg maintained between the white community and the black. Yes, community. the city was spending at that time. $50 million, as he said, to beautify downtown White St. Pete. Mm -hmm. And in 66, while much of the African community didn't even have paved roads. But as he goes on to say in that uh, statement, in that press conference, they, there was some semblance of self-determination and economic self-reliance in the Black community. There were Black-owned businesses, Black-owned hotels, restaurants, uh, cultural outlets. And at that time in 66, a 25-year-old chairman of Malia Chatella and the St. Pete branch of SNCC did the entire city a favor by, uh, de in demanding economic development, it became necessary to tear down that offensive mural. And that act has been called the first act of the Black Power Movement. It is of note that this occurred in December of 1966, at least six months 
before the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in California on May 2nd, 1967, 30 fully armed Black Panthers occupied the California state capitol. The demonstration was motivated by Republican Assemblyman Don Mulford's bill to repeal the law allowing Californians to openly carry weapons, a direct response to the Black Panthers' police patrols. So that, that, that was a, an example of a complete 180 on the part of the state where suddenly they decided that open carry rifles and guns and weapons were not a good idea in the hands of African people defending themselves. And uh, before, just to, to give people an understanding how the, the magnitude of this, of the symbol of, of the Black Panther, which the SNCC branch that Chairman O'Malley Chatella led here in St. Petersburg used the Black Panther as a symbol even before the Black Panther Party. So this, this act has to be understood as one on a par with the Black Panther Party going into the California state capitol. The space where that vile mural hung depicting a depraved caricature of African people happily serving white St. Petersburg beachgoers remained blank for 54 years, which was in a way its own fitting tribute, right? Because it represented that kind of open wound, that, that unchanged state of crisis and indeed deepening crisis. Well, it represented the fact, I would just say, that they couldn't put anything there yes. that what did not go through Chairman O'Malley Shatella and the African working class because of the power of Chairman O'Malley Shatella and the African People's Socialist Party in that city. That's right. why they didn't do it. They could not do it because That's of right. that. But, yeah. they, they tried many times. Yes. yes. Uh, in the Tampa Bay Times article, uh, the uh, person, the, the uh, neo-colonial force who is behind the current plaque uh, situation claims that she sent an official letter to Chairman Amali Chatella in 2016. Crazy. Uh, which is really crazy. But the thing is, the process that they were involved in in 2016 had nothing to do with putting up a plaque. Right. The process that they were involved in 2016 was to put up a new mural and they actually got so far as to vote on one of two murals. They had this white nationalist French guy that made a mural portraying J Chairman Amalia Chatella and George Snow Hill, the original white nationalist propagandist behind the, uh, the original mural, like reconciling and shaking hands. And the other painting was of a naked enslaved African man holding a basket of eggs and they voted on the basket of eggs one, they were ready to put that on the wall. And the Uhura movement intervened and said that this- Hell no. You will not put that thing on the wall. If that goes on the wall, we're taking it down. And they ended up voting to keep it blank. Uh, and now it's just, they keep trying this over and over and over again. And I just love what the chairman said that, you know, when they, when they marched uh, 1966, you know, they marched into that city hall and tore down that mural. They weren't marching mm -hmm. for Plaque. For a plaque, yes. Uh, marching for power. Yes. They were marching for a, a change in the conditions of African people. Mm -hmm. And that this, he said, you know, keep your plaque, pay reparations to the black community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you, you know, and, and the point that it's worse, the conditions are worse for worse. African people. Yeah. Just the point that he made. Exactly. That 50, 54 years later, Africans don't have any institutions yeah. like the ones they had before. They've been yeah. pushed out of everything. The city is gentrifying, pushing the African community out into deeper and deeper poverty. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what the, the, the whole um, initiative that you're talking about, Jesse. First of all, it offered $50,000 oh, yeah. for, for the artists that, that, that would do that. Mm -hmm. 
and it, it was trying to it, it wanted to portray the advances yeah. made since uh 66 exactly which is the exact opposite of the reality and then there's the reality that there is no more joseph waller there is chairman omalia chatella and and this plaque which should be a tribute to chairman omalia chatella and the other members of SNCC who tore down that mural that day yeah. and, and were arrested and whose lives were impacted. Yeah. And they, they can't even say his name. And I, I appreciated at the press conference that there was a mm -hmm. moment we weren't able to play where the chairman said, perhaps it's because uh, Joseph Waller fought against racism, but Chairman Amalia Chatella fights against, against colonialism. Yeah. yeah. You know, the chairman, and then, yeah, I just wanted to say that the chairman and the chairman made clear his intentions if they try to put up that plaque. Mm -hmm. He said he's coming back with a jackhammer if he has to and taking down that plaque. And that, I think the message was delivered loud and clear. I'm going to go ahead and predict that plaque is not going up. No, no, no. But this this whole situation has to come to a conclusion. This has been going on for for 50 years. The city has gone back and forth and done this. Turn it over to the chairman, the decision of what happens there, which has to do with the conditions of the African community. And that, you know, that, that Chairman Omali Shatella is Omali Shatella. He changed his name because, as we said, as, as Jesse said, because of the conditions of colonialism, because Waller is a white slave master. Right. And that's what his name was. He has his African name. And I just remember, you know, the famous fight of, of Muhammad Ali when one of the people he was boxing against refused, you know, just still called him Cassius Clay. And he kept hitting him in the face saying, say my name, say my name, say my name. Wow. And, you know, and so this is, Omalia Shatella is Omalia Shatella. And, and for the reasons that he so eloquently stated. So this city's got to, you know, they can't escape this uprising of the African working class that's going on right now. Went on in 1996 in a profound way in that city after 18-year-old Tyron Lewis was gunned down just a few blocks by the police in a, in a routine traffic stop just about three blocks from the Uhuru house. And that the city went up in flames led by the African working class and Chairman Omali Shatella became the de facto mayor, the leader the leader of the African community in the Uhuru House, even though it was attacked, was the embassy. And, um, if, and it was powerful. That, that was quite a historical moment, 1990, the murder of yes. Tyrone Lewis and, yes, and the two indeed. rebellions that culminated in the community defending the Uhuru House from an assault mm -hmm. that was starting to look much like what Philadelphia did to the MOVE organization, yes, exactly. which ended in the murder of 11 men, women, and children who were members of MOVE and, and living there. And everybody survived that night um, in November of 1996 when the police assaulted the Uhura House because the community came out and defended them. And if you, if you wanna learn more about that, you can uh, see the Battle of St. Petersburg. Yes. This, this mural struggle is, is connected to everything else that we're talking about. It's mm -hmm. the question of, where you see the contradiction is is it about the ideas in our heads are we going to keep ourselves in the middle as in the center of everything as white people 
or are we going to recognize that this is about reparations and self-determination for African people? And just the, the one, one last thing I'd like to mention, there's an article in the Tampa Bay Times on this, which is uncharacteristically fair in a, in a certain way, um, you know, it, it, compared to what we're, we're used to expect, expecting from the Tampa Bay Times. But I noted this. It calls the chairman the founder of the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, which he is. There's no mention in the article of the African People's Socialist Party. And I just, I just wanted to state that the African People's Socialist Party is alive and well. Its chairman is Omalia Shetela, and this city will not erase his existence or the struggle for black power and reparations. I want to thank you, Chairwoman Penny Hess. I want to thank Jesse Neville for helping us to, to sum up this struggle. Uhuru. Uhuru, and thank you, thank you, Jamie, thank you, Jesse. Uhuru and unity through reparations. On Friday, June 12th, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement gathered in front of Bank of America in St. Petersburg, Florida for a press conference featuring the founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, Chairman Omalia Shetela, to call for Bank of America to pay reparations to African people. Bank of America recently made a statement that they would be putting $1 billion towards, quote, racial equality work over the next four years. Let's turn to a clip of Uhuru Solidarity Movement National Chair Jesse Neville and African People's Socialist Party Chairman Omalia Shetela speaking at the press conference. We are here today in front of the Bank of America building here in St. Petersburg, Florida, to deliver a message to the CEO of the of Bank of America, the country's second largest bank. His name is Brian Moynihan. The time is overdue for you and Bank of America to pay reparations to the black community. We are calling for Bank of America to pay reparations through a massive capital infusion into the Black Power Blueprint Project in St. Louis, Missouri. Bank of America was founded in 1904 from a merger of predecessor companies who accepted enslaved African people as collateral on loans given to plantation owners. When Africans were put in chains and forced to work on plantations to build the capitalist white power economy, it was Bank of America who reaped the benefits. This bank is also one that has benefited hugely from underwriting municipal bonds issued by city governments throughout this country anytime they have to pay settlements in cases relating to police violence and murder of African people. They even call them police brutality bonds. Who underwrites those bonds? The banks. Who funds the police departments throughout this country that kill African people at a rate of at least three people per day? The banks. When an African person is forced to the ground and suffocated to death by a white cop, it is Bank of America who reaps the profit. Reparations means repair the damage. That's what reparations mean. What, what does 400 years of slavery in this country, what does it cost black people? In addition to our dignity, our culture, and the actual material resources that's been stolen from us. We talking about when we look at these buildings right here on the other side of Central, they go up at the expense of our community that's going down at the same time. Gentrification, pushing people out of our homes, stealing our resources, subprime mortgages that they put that's resulted in African people losing in just a short period of time more money that came from us during slavery. There's a big discussion going on about looting. When they say looting, they're talking about the reparations that people are taking uh, in these shops. 
in these corporations around the country that are being torched by rebellious people. But the real looting that's happening in the country, the real looting is happening right here from Bank America. They're looting our communities on the daily basis. That's why we are starving. That's why we are hungry. We say that you have to give to an anti-colonial program like the Black Power Blueprint that has actually already transformed an entire community in North St. Louis so that the people can live, so that people can create our own resources, so that the people can have dignity as all human beings should have. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. Bank of America must pay reparations. Wall Street must pay reparations. That was Chairman Omalia Shatella and Uhuru Solidarity Movement Chair Jesse Neville. The press conference generated a crowd of nearly 30 people who came out to enthusiastically support the demands to make Wall Street pay reparations. It also brought out the presence of two St. Petersburg police cars and a representative from Publix who wanted to be assured that Publix was not the company being targeted. Not yet, he was told. A Bank of America security guard came out to photograph the banners and report to his higher-ups about the potential exposure to reputational damage to which the bank was being subjected, despite its $1 billion attempt to rehabilitate its image in the eyes of the black community. So I'm joined today by Uhuru Solidarity Movement Chair Jesse Neville to talk about this press conference and the campaign to make Wall Street pay reparations. Welcome to Reparations in Action, Jesse Neville. Uhuru. Can you tell us why Bank of America and why now? Uhuru, Jamie, thank you for having me on the show and thank you for hosting this excellent program here on Black Power 96. It's always an honor to be on here. And I really wanna salute Chairman Amali Shatella for his leadership and his profound analysis that he gave at that press conference. And I encourage people to go to Uhuru Solidarity Movement's Facebook page and watch the whole video. It's about 25 minutes long. Um, as far as your question, why Bank of America and why now? Well, let me start with the why now. Why now? Because the white ruling class is in a very vulnerable state right now, as Chairman Amali Shatella has been explaining and exposing for the last couple of years. And that is more true today than it's ever been, because with the rise of the African resistance, the rebellions in response to the colonial police violence and other forms of colonial violence that are carried out against African people every single day, that has turned into an assault on the very foundation of the US parasitic capitalist economy. And the banks and the major corporations in this country can see the writing on the wall and they are scrambling to rebrand themselves as friends and allies of the black community. And we know that is the furthest thing from the truth. Bank of America, which was built off of banks that were involved in slavery that actually owned enslaved African people that they accepted as collateral on loans, um, all the other companies that we're talking about, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, the largest bank in the United States that uh, funded the prison system and also benefited from slavery, all of these banks that you know, have trillions of dollars of wealth that represents the accumulated value of hundreds of years of exploited African labor and resources, Amazon, you know, which is run by the wealthiest person on the planet, Jeff Bezos, whose fortune has increased during the period of the COVID-19 crisis by, I think, $25 billion, which is larger than the GDP of Honduras. Like, wow. that's, that's not how much money he has. That's how much money he's made since the COVID-19 crisis started, and African people are dying off at genocidal rates from that colonial virus. 
So the white ruling class is vulnerable, Wall Street is vulnerable, and we want to take advantage of that, kick them while they're down, and say, you don't get to hide behind a Black Lives Matter sign, or in Jeff Bezos's case, a red, black, and green flag, believe it or not, they started flying one at the Amazon headquarters. Uh, so you don't get to hide behind that. You have to put your trillions where your mouth is and pay reparations to the black power blueprint. Wow. That sounds like some serious audacity yeah. on, on the part of these uh, ruling class capitalist institutions. You, you mentioned in the press conference that in addition to slavery, mass incarceration, subprime mor uh, mortgage predatory lending, that police violence is yet another way that banks and Wall Street make billions of dollars from the oppression of African people. Can you explain the way that the so-called police brutality bonds you mentioned work? Definitely. And this is something that we, as the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, recently held an event um, on Sunday night with uh, Director Akile Anai, the director of the African People's Socialist Party's Agitprop Department, um, and also Penny Hess, the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee and recurring guest on this program. Uh, we held an event called Defund the Police and Pay Reparations to African People, where we, we went into this in quite some depth. So I encourage people to go check out that uh, video also on Uhuru Solidarity uh, Facebook and YouTube pages if you want. It's about two hours long that goes into depth about this. Um, but I think this is especially relevant right now when there is all of this discussion about defunding the police to start by asking the question, who funds the police? Mm -hmm. And the police are funded by Wall Street banks, which means that the police are funded through stolen African resources. So therefore, if you do the math, the struggle for reparations to African people is a struggle to defund the police. Totally, not just a little bit you know, off the top, like in LA where they said they're gonna cut $150 million from the police budget. The police budget is $1.8 billion in LA. So 150 million is like their coffee budget or something like that. It really makes no difference. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about truly defund, truly depriving the colonial state of its resource base. What does that mean? It means reparations to African people because that resource base is drenched in the stolen resources and blood and labor of African people. So that's the kind of general understanding of it. Specifically, uh, there are a number of ways that, that the Wall Street banks are both funding and making a profit off of uh, what the police are doing. First of all, the Wall Street banks literally just give money to the police. That's the first way. They literally give money to them. For example, they're in uh, New York, the NYPD has uh, something called the Police Foundation, which is a private foundation. They don't have any obligation to disclose their contributions. Uh, in 2011, J.P. Morgan Chase gave the NYPD $4.6 million just as a gift and said that they hoped they would use it to heighten security. This you know, ha happened at a time when there was huge protests going on in Wall Street. So uh -huh. I don't think that's a coincidence. Wow. Uh, and they and, J and Bank of America also gave money to the New York, uh, New York Police Department's private foundation. That money was used to buy more guns, to buy more uh, ammo, to buy more tanks and things like that. And also, apparently, to buy liquor and cigars for the police commissioner, Ray Kelly. So these are some of the ways that, that uh, the banks are funding Wall Street straight up just by writing a check and giving them money. They also give them jobs. Uh, there are cops in this country, armed, uniformed, co uniformed cops, not security guards, armed, uniformed police officers mm -hmm. that work for banks that work for Bank of America, that work for JP Morgan Chase. 
there's something in New York called the paid detail unit, I think is what it's called. And they are not respond, they don't, they don't report to a municipality or to a police department. They report to a bank. They work for the bank. So on one on the one hand, it is generally true that the police in this country serve the interests of the bankers and the Wall Street capitalists. Uh-huh. On the other hand, it's literally true that they do. Um, wow. So that's one thing. Now to get to the question about the bonds, this is the, you know, so just kind of going through those other ways, one of the most insidious ways is through police brutality bonds. The way this works is, there, so police violence against African people uh, becomes a big expense for a municipality when they have to pay some hush money or pay a settlement mm-hmm. to prevent it from going any further and to prevent the killer cop from winding up in jail. Sometimes millions, if not billions of dollars get spent. So where does that money come from? Well, it either comes from the city's general budget, which means it's coming from taxpayers, right. which means it's coming from Africans. Right. You know, because the city budget, as the chairman always points out, that's not the government's money. That's the people's money. So so they're making African people and taxpayers foot the bill to keep the murderers of African people out of jail by paying for these settlements. Now, if the city's broke, they issue a bond. They issue bonds to pay for the settlement. Rich white investors purchase those bonds. Mm-hmm. And then the banks underwrite those bonds. So the banks are offering the financial service of basically facilitating that transaction. So they're charging fees to the city to underwrite those bonds. So the rich white investors make a profit on interest over the course of 30 years that the bonds are being paid back. The banks are making a profit through charging fees by underwriting the bonds. And who is actually paying for those bonds to be paid back over the course of 30 years? Taxpayers. Because paying back the bonds comes again out of the city's general budget. So, and sometimes they cut funding from schools and they cut funding for public transportation and other things like that in order to pay off the bonds that they issue to pay for settlements in police brutality cases. So this is a way, this is another way that, that the Wall Street banks are not only making money off of police violence, but making money off of the systematic theft of resources from African communities. It's like adding insult to injury. Like yeah. they kill Africans and then they make them pay for it. They make them pay for the safety of the police who killed them in the first place. So, And it's just yeah. so profound that you're, it seems like what you're describing is an entire uh, economic structure. Exactly. Not only to uh, make profit off the murder and brutalization of African people by police, yeah. but to ensure its safe continuation exactly. to cover it over. Yep. That, that is so profound, especially when you uh, combine it with the knowledge of people like, like George Zimmerman yep. And, yep. And, and the cop uh, Darren Wilson who murdered Mike Brown. Get paid by average white people to the tune of a yeah. million dollars for their actions. Yeah. And th- that these banks are doing this too. It becomes so clear why reparations are owed. So uh, Jesse Neville, can you, can you tell us what is next for this campaign mm-hmm. of make Wall Street pay reparations? And how can people get in touch? Well, what's next is we intend to continue holding actions. We intend to continue doing what Chairman Amali Shatella called haunting the bourgeoisie or haunting the, uh, the ruling class. And we're going to be planning a lot of things in the upcoming weeks. So people can get in touch by going to uhurusolidarity.org slash Wall Street and actually sign up to be involved in the campaign or email info at uhurusolidarity.org. Fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, bringing us this story on reparations in action today and taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Jesse Neville of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement.